You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and on this week's lesson of the show, we are taking a break from our current series that we're in called Searching for Adam, Genesis and the Truth about man's origin. Um, well, that's actually the title of the book that we're using, but our, our series is called The Biblical Origin of Humanity. And we've been going through this book chapter by chapter and kind of hitting some of the highlights of each chapter and dealing with um, questions that arise during those chapters and also just giving some good quotes from the book and everything um, about the origin of humanity. And it's a pretty long uh, book, especially, I mean, if you sit down and read it, uh, Tons of good content. Each chapter is authored um, independently. A couple chapters have uh, multiple authors on it, uh, and they're different. So it's a really, really good book. It's edited by Dr. Terry Mortensen, the historian of geology from Answers in Genesis. And I believe this book is put together really well, and it kind of has a good middle breaking point, which is why we're taking a break this week. Just about uh, the first half or so of the book argues from a biblical, historical, and even somewhat of a cultural perspective to try to get to the bottom of the origin of humanity. What we're trying to do is find out uh, what the scriptures teach about Adam and Eve. Was Adam a historical, literal uh, person? Was Eve a historical, real person who existed at a certain point in history? And, um, and that's the question that we have been dealing with and looking at from multiple different perspectives. Uh, many different authors have weighed in uh, to the point that we're at so far, and we've been able to make a clear case that historically speaking, the church for, uh, you know, I guess around 1800 years or so has really held the position of a historical Adam and even largely of a recent creation. And so that's kind of what we've been dealing with and going through these past few weeks. So I highly encourage you, uh, when you're done listening with this episode, to go back, download the past six or seven episodes. I'm not sure exactly which one it starts with. I don't have that in front of me here, but um, you can you can uh, start seeing there in the in the title of the podcast episode that's going to say BOH series in parentheses. And uh, the first episode in that series uh, was called "Is Adam the Real Deal." is Adam the real deal. So go back and find that one and start with that one and kind of get up to the point where we're at now. Now next week, when we return with, I guess what you would call our regularly scheduled programming, we will get into some of these scientific arguments uh, and kind of deal with the second half of that book that takes us from a scientific perspective to try to see if we can get to the truth about Adam and Eve. And I'm really, really excited about that part of things. Um, you know, I like history, but I've mentioned it before, and I'm just being as honest with you as I can, that history is not really um, my preferred subject. I, I do like history. I like church history. I like the history of the world, but, but you know, it's hard for me to get into and study that as much. Uh, but this is a creation science podcast, and I love science. And I think that is going to be an exciting part of our book study. Uh, but, you know, let's be honest, the history of it is important. You know, we need to know what the Bible teaches. And it's also important to know who believed, who has believed throughout the years in um, what I would believe to be the biblical way, right? Who throughout the centuries have taught what is consistent with the Bible. And the reason why that is important 
is because if it's true that our understanding is changing just now, well, then we have some some pretty significant issues. Uh, you know, we have the issue that we might be guilty of reading ideas back into the Bible. All right, well, then we also have the issue that it's very possible that we are interpreting the Bible the wrong way for 1,800 years. Now, we have to ask, is that consistent with God's nature? And this is actually a pretty good segue into the kind of the, the next thing I wanted to deal with today. By the way, let me just say before I say that, that I have a very, very special um, announcement that I'm going to be making on this podcast. So I hope you'll stick around uh, till the end. I'm going to try not to make it too long, uh, but who knows, it may go out, it won't go over an hour, but it may go up that high. I'm not sure, but uh, I would encourage you to stick around to the end because I've got a exciting announcement that I am going to make in a little bit and I'm nervous about it. It's something bigger than I can do by myself. Um, I'm not sure how it's all going to work yet, but I feel it uh, in my heart that it, this is from God. I feel that this is what God would have me to do, and I'm really excited about it. I desire your prayers, and we're going to make that announcement here in just a little bit. So, so hang tight with me, okay? Um, but so back to this, um, back to this point I wanted to to make. You know, the question is: Have we been interpreting the Bible incorrectly for a long time? And here lately, I've been talking with some theistic evolutionists, and I've mentioned this briefly in the past couple of episodes, but I just wanted to take a minute to center in on it, because for the first time uh, the other day, I landed myself in a conversation with a theistic evolutionist who held this position. And if you remember, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I came across on a blog a, a theistic evolutionist who admitted that Jesus and even the Apostle Paul believed in a recent creation um, because of their historical cultural background, the the idea that they were Jews and um, the Jewish belief was in a recent creation, and of course in a literal Adam and a literal Eve. And so the theistic evolutionist on this blog was more than happy to admit that Jesus and the Apostle Paul very well could have been wrong. And I mentioned to you that that was a little disturbing to me, uh, actually quite disturbing to me. Uh, this man really um, was in a good conversation in the comment section on his blog with uh, another gentleman. And I mean, they were having a good conversation. This man was talking about things that were happening in his church and prayer and, and revival happening and everything. I mean, it sounded uh, just like another Bible believer to me, but then he didn't believe in the words of Jesus. And it was Jesus himself who said that if you don't believe what I say about earthly things, then how how in the world are you going to believe what I say about heavenly things? And so this is uh, very troubling for me to encounter people who don't trust the words of Jesus. And the proof text that they use, I believe, out of Matthew 24, uh, maybe 2436, although I'm not positive on that, um, I actually encountered a theistic evolutionist just this week who I was talking to who used the same proof text. And essentially that verse says that the Son of Man um, knows not when he's going to come get his bride. Remember, we're talking about the second coming, and it that verse teaches that Jesus 
did not have quite the same level of knowledge that God the Father had. Now, I'm going to admit to you up front that I have not fleshed out all of the theology on that. But here's one thing I do know. I do know that you cannot use that verse. It's not a sufficient proof text to use that verse and to say that Jesus Christ did not know about the creation of the world. And the reason why is because if you read John 1, the Bible is very, very clear that the very Word who was in the beginning, who created all things, as a matter of fact, John goes so far as to say that nothing was created except that was created by Him. That very Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you read John 1, you're going to find that. Now, here's the thing. You can't use a verse that says that there's something about the future that is a piece of knowledge that is reserved only for the Father. I don't think you can use that same proof text to prove something about the past. That doesn't follow. It's not the same thing. While Jesus may not have the same knowledge as the Father about the second coming, it's very likely that that is the only thing that where there is a knowledge gap between Jesus and the Father. And and again, um, if you fleshed out the theology a little further on this than I had, then forgive me for speaking so primitively about it. But I don't see how you can take that, which is kind of obscure, and interpret it in a in a way that contradicts something that is quite clear out of Gen- uh, of John 1. Uh, remember, as far as hermeneutics goes, we interpret the unclear in light of the clear. And John 1 is pretty clear that Jesus was there at the beginning of the creation. I'm not willing to admit that he is not smart enough to know when the creation was. However, the theistic evolutionist this week, who I was speaking with, was more than prepared to admit, and he told me this, I don't have his exact quote, but he told me this. He said, I'm more than willing and I'm more than prepared to admit that Jesus and Paul may have held ideas about the past that were not true. And the reason is because they were very Jewish. Their belief in a recent creation and even in a um, a literal Adam is just a sign that they were very Jewish. Okay, well, if that's the case, then I have another question for you. Why? Well, number one, let me back up further, and then we'll ask the question. If you go through the Biblical Origin of Humanity series, you will stumble across a couple times where we saw that it was most certainly not, while it was the Jewish consensus, okay, about a young creation and a literal Adam, it was not the only view available to the biblical writers at that time, nor to Jesus, A contemporary of Jesus named Philo uh, is pretty famous and used all the time uh, by old earth creationists and others for saying that he didn't believe in the creation of, of happening in six days, just, you know, a few thousand years ago. All right, so we need to understand that there were other opinions available to the writers at this time. Paul did not have to speak of Adam in historical terms, neither did Jesus. And yet we find that they did. They fully believed that Adam and Eve were the beginning, the creation of man. So the problem we run into here is twofold. You know, we run into the problem that Jesus and Paul had other alternative views that they could use. But then it's also a problem, and this is the question I was going to ask, how can you explain the fact that it was the majority view of the Jews 
in that day? Why did the culture in that day believe it? Well, it's probably because that's what was taught in their scriptures. Now, did they have an idea of Darwinian evolution? No, of course not. Darwin didn't come around and write his book till 1859. Um, However, there were views of reality, of course, that were outside of a, um, of a Christian view. There were those who were atheists in that day, of course. And so they had some kind of view of the world. Who knows what it was? Um, I have not studied the history on that. But there were those who had a view of the world that uh, was not Christian, certainly. Uh, there were certainly those who had a pantheistic view of the world. There were those who trusted in the Greek gods and goddesses. And of course, there were those who, um, I'm sure, were naturalists, much like we see naturalists today. The difference is that naturalists today have the Darwinian explanation that they can lean back on. So and so, so the question I have, or, or the comment that I have in my notes about this, is just simply to comment on the sad realities of theistic evolutionism. And let me just say that it is a sad reality. Now, if you go back a couple episodes ago, uh, and a couple lessons ago there, you're going to see that we dealt with a view of John Walton. And John Walton is one of those Old Testament scholars who has uh, given way to A&E interpretations or ancient Near Eastern interpretations that has allowed others to come in. And while he says, um, he claims anyway, that he does not endorse evolutionism, he says that his views are 100% not um, incompatible. In other words, they do compat and they do cohere just fine with evolutionary thinking and evolutionary ideas. And the sad reality is that if we're going to bring evolutionism into the Bible, uh, there are those who say that in order to do that, we would have an issue with Genesis 1, and we might just have to work through some, some issues in Genesis 1 and even some parts of Genesis 2. Um, I agree, but I think the issue goes much, much further. And unfortunately, many people are just willing to, to, to stop there. And, you know, they're, they're willing to admit, hey, look, yeah, we're, we're going to have to reinterpret Genesis a few different ways if it turns out that Darwinian evolution is absolutely true. The problem is, is these um, people who say that are not giving enough credence to the rest of the places in the Bible that clearly, clearly uh, diminish this idea. All right, so Exodus 20.11 is one of those ideas. There is no ambiguity in there about how many days the creation was. Jesus is teaching in Mark 10.6 and in Matthew 19. It is just very, very clear. Jesus is saying that from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, here's the thing. This is awkward, too, um, for anyone arguing from any kind of old earth interpretation, because Jesus said from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So here's the thing. The closer, or the further away, I should say, that you put... Uh, male and female, from the beginning of the creation, the more awkward it gets, and the less accepting it looks of Jesus' words right there. All right, so I want you to consider that. That To me, that's one of the best arguments in the Bible for a recent creation, because it's pretty logical to say, okay, you know, six days, the beginning of the creation. Uh, of course, we know that Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day. So six days from the beginning of the creation, for Jesus to say that they were simultaneous events or from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, that's not so hard to understand. But when we start talking about millions of years, whether from an old earth perspective or from a theistic evolutionism perspective, that's a big problem. Um, the further away that gap gets from the creation of man, from the beginning of the creation, the bigger of a problem that 
creates. And of course we know on the theistic evolutionism side of things, we know that Adam uh, brought sin into the world and death by sin. By the way, that's also a problem for old earth creationists. Um, and this is not the um, old earth creationist and theistic evolution bashing podcast. That is not how we work around here. Uh, do I disagree with their positions? Yes, uh, vehemently. However, on this podcast, we tend to stick to the positive side of building the case for creation. And so in going through this book, that's what I've been trying to do. Now, we've had to pull some weeds as we've been going through, but ultimately, I've just been trying to um, show you the historicity of the biblical position and how the church viewed the biblical position. And now we're going to get into the science of things on that. But um, but sometimes we just have to sit back and say, look, um, are we going to take God at his word or no? And what is the sad reality and where does it lead if we say that we no longer trust Jesus's words? All right, now, hey, and I was not the only one, by the way, this was a Facebook thread I'm talking about. I was in an apologetics organization, um, uh, Facebook thread, and it's a legitimate, um, this is not just some random Facebook group. You have to actually have some credentials to get into here as far as you have to give an application and answer a bunch of questions and all kinds of stuff. This is a very, very legitimate organization and organized group of apologists. And so we were dealing with this question. And it's interesting. I... I didn't officially bow out of the conversation. I've got a response. Uh, I, I laid out a pretty clear case, I believe, for a position against uh, the theistic evolutionist, and he said he was going to get back to me. He hasn't yet, but I'm sure he will. Um, I understand that people have a life other than responding to my Facebook comments. Um, but many other people on the thread started jumping in and saying, look, are you aware of the implications of what you are saying? And one of the points that I made. Actually, it was the first point in my response that hopefully he's going to respond to. Many other people jumped in there and also made the same points. And so here's here's the thing. Um, at what point at what point do you accept a resurrection and a virgin birth? Uh, I was dealing with the fact that um, just because I believe in a young earth uh, situation that I am not a science denier. Um, and he said, well, look, uh, essentially, if you disagree with the majority of scientists, then you are a science denier. Um, ironically, he was responding this to a post that I had posted in the group that I wrote on my website about uh, five myths of um, higher education and peer review. And point number one was that you can't just say the majority rules, therefore this position is true. Um, and in my opinion, this theistic evolutionist was trying to negate that by relying on that very argument. Um, and so basically he said, by definition, you're a science denier. Uh, if you don't believe in the accepted peer reviewed, you know, evolution teaching. All right. Well, well, that's okay. Let's just work on that basis. So you believe if you're a Christian, which you say you are, you believe in a resurrection and in a virgin birth. So can you not see how by definition that would also make you a science denier? Because no scientist admits that resurrections happen, nor do they admit virgin births happen. You see, so uh, the lines are suddenly blurred. We can't believe what Jesus said about evolution, right? Because science has taught us otherwise. But somehow we can believe in a resurrection and a virgin birth. Do you see how contradictory this becomes? So I just want you to think about that. I I'm just, I just wanted to make that, that comment about the sad realities of theistic evolutionism. Um, Hebrews 11 and... Uh, just deals with the matter of faith, you know, and it says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. And I understand that we're talking about science here, 
and that this podcast is about science. But can I tell you that Christianity is not blind faith? It is trust based on truth. However, when we start to mar the truth of it, the less and less it can be trusted. You see how that works? It can only be trusted if it is true. And the less truth of the Bible that we accept, the less that it can be trusted. However, when we uh, give in to our flesh, um, or, or when we fight back against our fleshly ideas that say that, well, scientists in this world are pretty smart, they must have some pretty good ideas. Well, I agree with that, um, but not insofar as it contradicts the Bible. And I believe some very, very good science has been carried out uh, to the contrary of the mainstream view that would uh, absolutely confirm the Bible's teaching. So um, it's just a matter about who do we want to, who do we want to trust, who do we want to listen to. You know, I, I mean, in my opinion, it's a pretty clear case. I, I don't see how you can arrive without some cognitive dissonance, okay? And I don't see how you can arrive at any other clear teaching from the Bible other than um, what it says about the creation of the world. I believe that it teaches at face value a young creation and literal and historical Adam. And the further away that we get from that, the bigger the problem we have. We can't solve the days of Genesis with long ages because the order is different. The order of creation is different. The order and the way things happen in the world and the evolutionary story is 100% contrary to the way it happens in Genesis 1. So we have to deal with that. Jesus seemed to believe in a young creation. So we have to deal with that. The law, when God wrote the law with his own finger on the stone tablets in front of Moses, God said that we were created, the world was created in six days. All right? And it was to establish a pattern for the work week. Right? We have a seven-day work week. This is, it's so clear, it's, it's, it's staggering. There's nothing in there to suggest. I mean, if God wanted to, he could have created the whole thing with a snap of his fingers. It could have been done instantaneously. That's the bigger problem to me. Uh, and if you look through church history, you'll find that that was a bigger problem for guys like um, Augustine and even Philo and some of the teaching even during Luther's day. There were those who said, look, uh, we believe that creation was carried out in one day. This is because they didn't have the uh, scientific basis to believe in long ages, so they thought the opposite was true, um, that creation happened in one day. And I'm more inclined to believe that. The only reason that I believe that we were created in six days, that the world was created in six days, just a few thousand years ago, is because as we've dealt with uh, in, in the very recent past episodes, we've seen that the biblical chronology seem to be um, just begging to be added up. The way that they are, the way that you um, have the dates arranged where you know the age of the father when the son was born and also um, when the father dies and everything, it, it all lines up. The, the genealogies line up in such a way that we can we can get a meaningful chronology from them. Um, and that the Bible says that creation happened in six days. So I think the Bible is clear on that, and I'm going to need to to move on a little bit, or we're never going to get through this episode. Um, the thing is, I could stay on, on this for the whole time, but I don't want to do that because I have some exciting uh, stuff. All right, so I want to move on to uh, something else that we haven't really gotten to, to do yet, and we want to do a little bit of Q&A. I've received some questions recently uh, from some individuals. One came from my website and another actually came from a personal contact I know from my Sunday school class. So um, 
I want to deal with these two questions and see if we can kind of get a meaningful answer on these before we jump into our big announcement that I'm so excited about. So question number one is about the idea of Pangea. Um, this gentleman who is in the Sunday school class that I help teach, he is uh, going to college here in North Carolina, and he and his roommate were talking about Pangea. And so he asked me, he said, look, you know, we're talking about this, and what what does the Bible say about Pangea? Is there any kind of indication as to what that might, you know, be like? Is that is that an evolutionary idea to the core? How does that play out? So I want to give you a couple verses of Scripture, just like I gave him, to kind of see the Bible position on this. And then uh, I also want to give you a little bit of material from Answers in Genesis to help you uh, answer this question. So um, Genesis 1 and verses 9 and 10, this is how they read. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry earth, or the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So here in these two verses, you have pretty clear uh, biblical teaching that the waters under the heaven were gathered together into one place. And then the dry land appeared, and it was so. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. All right, so um, it appears from Genesis uh, 1 that the original creation would have had on it what you might call a supercontinent. And, of course, then all the seas of the world um, by themselves. And when we look at the events of the flood... And we, we read the flood chapters and we talk to some creation scientists who have done some work on this. Uh, they suggest, of course, that uh, the way, the reason that the world is the way it is now is because of uh, the scientific idea of plate tectonics. Now, we, uh, if you learned about plate tectonics in science class, you know that it is just the slow, gradual moving of the uh, Earth's tectonic plates. And so the world is kind of arranged in the way that it is. And of course, scientists believe that this happened over millions and millions of years. Well, probably the most widely accepted creation model uh, by Dr. Wise, Dr. Baumgartner, Dr. Austin, and there's a few others on there. Um, probably the most widely accepted creation model is the model of catastrophic plate tectonics. So it teaches that uh, plate tectonics, which has incredible explanatory power, uh, is true. But we believe as creationists that it happened much, much more rapidly than um, than it would have happened on the evolutionary view. Indeed, we uh, tend to believe that in just a matter of weeks, uh, around flood year and, and during those times that the world could have been arranged in such the way it is and that uh, the flood was not some kind of tranquil, you know, I mean, it's not like watching a bathtub fill up, okay? Um, the flood was a mess. This world was a mess. The volcanic implications of what happened, um, of course, we realized that water is powerful. Water, the, I mean, water... It, has the power to just move um, uh, insurmountably, okay? I mean, it, it really can cause some major damage. Any of you who have been in flood situations or you've had your house flooded or anything like that, you know the kind of damage that water can do. Um, water, in fact, in its liquid form is even heavier, of course we know, than ice uh, in its solid form, and, and it can cause some serious damage. So 
we uh, we would tend to believe as creationists that uh, the flood was an extremely violent event from a hydraulic standpoint and also from a volcanic standpoint, and so it caused some major damage. So uh, back to this idea of Pangea. Well, the Bible seems to teach the idea of a supercontinent, and evolutionary teaching also teaches about a supercontinent called Pangea. So the question is, the question is this, is it the same? Is it the same? It's really not a question of, uh, is there a supercontinent or is there not? It's, is it the same supercontinent? And is there any um, scientific credence that could be given to the idea of Pangea? So I want to look at this from a bit of a scientific perspective here and as far as history goes as well. So um, the supercontinent uh, Pangea used to be called the Snyder Pellegrini uh, continent, and of course it was uh, reconstructed by some geologists who came up with that idea um, in 1859, um, and Antonio Snyder Pellegrini uh, noticed a jigsaw puzzle fit of North and South America with Europe and Africa if the Atlantic Ocean Basin were closed up. Now, I'm reading here straight from Answers in Genesis, and I'll post a link to this in the show notes, all right? Um so uh, he read that uh, through Genesis 1, 9, and 10, just like we did, and realized that the landmass God formed on day three was probably a supercontinent, and that the supercontinent broke apart during the flood, and continental sprint, uh, as opposed to continental drift on the evolutionary view, opened up today's uh, Atlantic Ocean. So that was kind of the first look into the catastrophic plate tectonics model that um, that uh, flood geologists kind of revisited and revised in 1994, um, probably the most widely accepted view today, just like we discussed. So that was um, the first idea of, of that. So actually, the idea of a supercontinent was a creationist idea. It was a creationist idea to begin with, uh, but much like in many other areas, um, mainstream scientists kind of took the idea, made it their own, and now everybody thinks that mainstream scientists came up with those ideas. So um, in uh, later days, uh, the uh, reconstructed Snyder Pellegrini uh, continent uh, was called Pangea. Okay, it, it was renamed Pangea. Uh, the word Pan meaning entire and Gaia meaning Mother Earth. So Pangea. Um, however, because of uh, most recent research, we now know that Pangea could not have been the pre-flood supercontinent. All right. And again, I'm, I'm taking this information directly from this uh, Answers in Genesis article. Okay. And so this is what uh, their latest research kind of seems to show. So. Um, they believe that something must have occurred earlier to produce the features on Pangea. Now, I'm going to quote directly from their article here, just so you can kind of get an idea of the most current creation research on the topic. When we remove, I'm quoting, when we remove the Atlantic Ocean and put the pieces back together, we find a long mountain chain that ran from North America through Europe. The problem is that this chain, known as the Appalachian Cal Caledonian Mountains, is made up of fossil-bearing sediments that were deposited earlier during the flood. The only known way to form a mountain chain like this is for one continent to collide with another continent. This means that the flood had to deposit fossil-bearing layers in North America and Europe before they crashed into each other to form Pangea. 
Thus, and this is important right here, thus Pangaea could not have been the pre-flood supercontinent that Noah lived on. It could only have been a temporary merger of continental fragments during the flood, lasting no more than a few weeks. Pangaea was a supercontinent during the flood, but it was completely underwater. All right, so that is kind of the current state of the idea of Pangaea from a creationist perspective. We do believe in an original supercontinent, but we do not believe it looked like Pangaea because of the fact that we find those fossil-bearing sediments. And uh, the only way to form a mountain chain like this is for an entire continent to collide with another one. And so that's what we believe happened. So we do believe in the idea of Pangaea. It's not a totally evolutionary idea. Actually, the idea of a supercontinent is very much a biblical creationist idea. Um, but Pangaea, we do believe happened, uh, but maybe just for a few weeks during flood year. So I hope that helps answer the question and maybe clear up any confusion that you had about Pangaea. And again, um, I will link you to some further reading in the show notes for that. All right, another question uh, that we had, and it's uh, not so creation-related, but but it kind of is. It kind of works together for it. Um, is what does it mean when people say that the Bible is circular? What does it mean when people say that the Bible is circular? Now, I, this idea came in as a question to an article that I wrote on my website, which I will link you to. And um, can can we prove the Bible using the Bible? the The article I believe is titled "Is It Circular to Prove the Bible Using the Bible." something like that. And so I went through and gave some arguments in that post for why uh, it would not be considered circular reasoning to prove the Bible using the Bible. And so I, I could spend um, a long time on this topic. Of course, some of you know that I tend to um, practice apologetics from a presuppositional perspective. I've written on that before as well. Some of you listening probably disagree with that. Um, and that's okay. Uh, you can disagree with that if you want to. I feel that it's the biblical position uh, to rely on the Bible to defend the Bible and to when challengers come up and want to say something different, I tend to give an internal critique of their worldview rather than straight out defending mine. Um, and by showing how theirs is not a tenable or logical worldview, um, that is the best defense I believe that I can give for my own, that mine best matches reality. And so... Um, Anyway, I wrote this post because naturally, if you defend the Bible that way, you're going to have a lot of people who say, well, wait a minute, that is circular reasoning. Well, again, I could spend a lot of time here. There's many reasons why it is not circular reasoning, um, but let me just give you one or two. So one thing is that if somebody says it's circular reasoning to prove the Bible with the Bible, they have a incorrect understanding of the Bible, right? So the Bible is not one book. It is one book authored by God, um, but it's actually a collection of smaller books, 66 of them. And it was written over a period of about 1,600 years, had over 40 authors, written across about three continents. So when we look at something in the Bible that um, tends to prove another part of the Bible, then it's not circular reasoning to say that that is the case because oftentimes they're going to be uh, completely different. All right, so um, let me give you an example, just like we were talking about earlier. Well, the Bible in Genesis seems to teach that Adam and Eve uh, were created just about 6,000 years ago. And again, we get we get that dates, we get those dates from um, historical markers as well as chronologies and genealogies given in the Bible. So the Bible tends to, to teach that about 
a literal Adam and a recent creation. All right. Well, Jesus, thousands of years later, speaking um, during the time that he did, was saying the same thing. He said also that uh, from the beginning, God made them male and female. So is it circular to support Genesis 1 with the words of Jesus? Well, no, no, it's not. Now, they can say it is because you're getting all of that information out of the Bible, but if that's the case, you don't understand the nature of the Bible. It is not circular reasoning to say that Jesus confirmed something about the creation of the world, for example. So that's just a practical example that I can give. Um, Another way of looking at this is that there is a difference between vicious circular reasoning and virtuous circular reasoning. And I don't want to get too uh, deep into this idea, but essentially that all ultimate authorities have to be circular at some level. Um, It would be incorrect to say, um, for example, that if God is really God, he would claim to be God, um, but he doesn't claim to be God, therefore he is God. Did you follow that? If God is God, then he would claim to be God, but he doesn't claim to be God, therefore he is God. That that doesn't follow um, because God is an ultimate authority. Um, God is going to say that he is God. If he were God, he would say that he was God, and he does say that he is God, therefore he is God. Um, that is not a circular argument because he is an ultimate authority. Now, you wouldn't necessarily argue that way um, in a conversation with somebody, and I'm not saying that you would, but you have to understand that uh, the, you can't expect um, the Bible not to be circular in disbelief of itself, right? But that wouldn't make any sense. Um So uh, an ultimate authority is going to be circular to that degree. It's kind of like when people use um, uh, the idea of the laws of logic to prove that you're logical. Well, you have to assume that the laws of logic work in order to prove that you're logical. So that is not circular reasoning. Um, Now, you know, of course, we can argue to an extent that uh, the laws of logic have to come from somewhere. uh, And of course... I do make that argument, okay? Um, the laws of logic are transcendent, but there's no reason for transcendence unless you can uh, prove a higher source of transcendence. And I don't want to get into all that, but that's one way that we reason for God. Um, but do understand that the Bible is not viciously circular. It's virtuously circular. And we can use other arguments um, in the Bible to prove its truthfulness. So uh, another and final example would be um, the prophetic teaching of the Bible. So in Deuteronomy 18, the Bible claims that if a prophecy comes to pass and it's not from God, then, um, or excuse me, if if a prophet says something and it does not come to pass, then it's not from God. So the Bible is a very prophetic book, right? So it puts itself up to a pretty high standard. It holds itself to a pretty high standard. Um, There are just over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, and to this day, over 2,000 of them have come to pass. Now, when we think about that, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. But what's even more incredible is that the Bible lives up to its own standard because the Bible makes so many... um, Uh, prophecies, and of course all the prophets of the Old Testament and everything. So if one of those that was supposed to come to pass did not come to pass, then the Bible, according to its own standard, would not be true. All right, so 
those are uh, a few reasons why the Bible cannot be considered circular reasoning. So I hope that helps. And again, I will point you actually to two blog posts I wrote to that effect. Uh, one that speaks to that question, of course, is the Bible circular uh, in its reasoning. And then the second one deals with the undeniable accuracy of the Bible. Shows how the Bible has been accurate throughout the centuries in history, in prophecy, in um archaeology and science. And so I think that will be really, really helpful for you. All right. Now, on to the star of the show, uh, the main event this week, if you will. Um, something has happened that I'm really, really uh, excited about, and I'm putting it together as we speak, and I don't know what it's all going to look like when it's over with, but I sure am uh, excited about it. So um, a few years ago, I was working actually at the same place that I am now. I work at a law firm, and I now work in information technology, but uh, back then I was the runner, which means I took things to the courthouse. I went to different places. I made deliveries. I picked things up, um, and I was out on a run one day, and I, I believe I was sitting in my car. I was just about to go into the courthouse here in town, and I just had a thought hit me. Now, I, was, I spent a lot of time in my car in those days, and I listened to a lot of preaching. I, I really wasn't into apologetics at all. Uh, I'm a preacher, and uh, I love preaching, so uh, a lot of times that's what I would listen to. And, you know, a thought just hit me. What if all of this is fake? What if none of it is true? And I started doing some research, and I don't even know whose website I landed on. But I found uh, an article that had to do with the historicity of Jesus. And to be specific, what I questioned was, um, was Jesus even a real person? Honestly, I had never been taught, and don't get me wrong, I went to a good church, but I had never been taught anything about apologetics, any, anything about defending the faith. I had no idea if there was even a lick of historical evidence for Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, um, obviously as I sit here today, that uh, that inquiry did not lead me down the wrong road. It did not lead me down the road of questioning Jesus from a skeptical perspective or, or even from, I should probably say, a cynical perspective. But it led me into a love for apologetics. And so here I sit today uh, doing an apologetics uh, podcast. Of course, we know, if you don't know, um, apologetics is uh, to give a defense, to give a reasoned defense for the Christian faith. And we would tend to look at 1 Peter uh, 3.15 to kind of get our reasoning for that. Um, Of course, it says that we should be ready at all times to, to give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that is within us. So that is what we're doing here. And um, I quickly got turned on to a creationist named Dr. Kent Hovind. Um, Most people in creation circles know his name. Now, there are some, uh, and I'm trying to be careful here because I, I appreciate Dr. Hovind's ministry. I think his creation teaching is absolutely excellent. There are some things I don't agree with, and I'll, I'm just going to leave it there. There are some theological things I don't agree with, but guess what? Almost every apologist I listen to, I have theological issues with. Um, I don't fully agree with anybody. So uh, many of you find that uh, as well. You eat the meat and spit out the bones. There are those who you can completely agree with and those who um, not so much. So uh, I'm just going to leave it there. There are some things that I don't agree with. Um, 
But there are some things that I do agree with. And anyway, so I uh, got into apologetics by listening to his creation seminar, which I'm sure many others who are listening to this might have. And though there are some ideas that I believe are outdated by the most current creation research, um, I also believe that about others, such as Dr. Henry Morris, who I greatly respect and I still use his Bible. Uh, all right. So, um, Anyway, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's where I got my start. I started listening to him, and of course, then I got into uh, other ministries, CMI, of course, um, AIG, Answers in Genesis. I got into to Ken Ham's ministry there and, and other creation ministries, and I've lived in this world for the past few years, learning as much as I can and gleaning as much as I can from others in uh, in the creation field. However, I noticed a major shortcoming in current creation learning, um, a major shortcoming. And that is, and you can actually, if you listen to the first uh, few episodes of this podcast, you'll kind of see my heart on that. But I truly um, believe that while many creation ministries have, have given much time to kind of showing the bankruptcy of evolution, I don't believe that quite as much time has been given to popularizing, um, excuse me, popularizing, let me talk this morning, um, the scientific ideas behind creationism or behind creation teaching. And the fact of the matter is that there is good reason to uh, believe in a recent creation, but a lot of times all we do when talking with evolutionists is to um, show them things about their worldview that we don't believe is true, and we should do that. However, I believe that there needs to be time spent and time dedicated to building up the creation theory, building up the creation model of the universe, and there's not very many people from a popular perspective writing podcasting and such like that to that perspective. And so that is kind of the torch that I am taking up and what I'm trying to do. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, just even in this podcast, I'm trying to build for you an understanding of the current creation research um, without you necessarily having to dive into the technical papers um, if you're not so inclined. So in, in a way, that is what I do here on this podcast. But I wanted to take that even further. And so I've been working on this idea. And of course, my background is in uh, web design and, and such like that and technology. So I have a pretty good handle on this stuff. And I just thought, well, what if, what if there was a place where you could just learn science from a biblical creation perspective? Uh, you know, there are, um, I mean, you could spend uh, years, okay, you could spend years on websites like AnswersInGenesis.com or Creation.com or ICR.org. You could spend years on websites like that and still not glean all the truth um, that they have to offer. But a lot of times you're you're not really going to get the foundational stuff. You're not going to get an idea as to what science really looks like from a creation perspective. Um, honestly, the only way to get that that I know of currently is to attend a college um, with a strong biblical creation um, view of the world who is intentionally teaching to that effect. And I wanted to make that accessible to more people. So uh, starting today, of course, this podcast is called The Creation Academy, but starting um, uh, today, I am announcing the Creation Academy uh, website, the Creation Academy 
And you're going to be able to find that at uh, thecreationacademy.org eventually. Um, it redirects uh, right now. But I want you to write this down. It's a little bit quicker, and I, I'm going to put it in the show notes anyway. I want you to write down joinTCA.co, not CO. Okay, joinTCA.co. And when you go there, you are going to be brought to a page that um, kind of gives a brief uh, synopsis of what we're doing, what you can expect to get if you become a member of the Creation Academy, and a place where you can sign up for our wait list. And I'm really, really excited about this. Some of the ideas that I have for this, I've got, I've been planning it for a while. I've got a list a mile long. I don't know how I'm going to make it all happen. Um, uh, Honestly, I'm just being as honest with you as I can. And and we'll talk a little bit about this journey as as time goes on here. But um, my solution to this problem about uh, creation learning and being able to learn about the positive model of creation, uh, I'm, I'm doing the best I can here on the podcast, and, and we're going to keep this podcast going, by the way, and we're going to start um, doing some different things with it as well. But anyway, um, so the podcast is not going away, but I wanted to enhance, and this is going to be video learning. Um my current vision for this thing is kind of a mix between, you know, being able to do some in front of the camera stuff and some really, really high quality, high video quality creation learning. There's not very much out there of that today. Um, so I want to get some high quality creation learning, um, from that perspective. But then I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Khan Academy website. Um, they teach uh, science and you can go there. It's completely donation based on their end. And you can go there. Um, and you don't even have to give a donation. You can just uh, create a free account and sign up. And um, anyway, on the Khan Academy website, you can go and learn about science. Uh, but right in the beginning stages of going through their program, you are going to hear some crazy statements about reality, um, such as the fact that we can expect that even consciousness can be explained by protons, neutrons, and electrons. Um, and I'm just not there. <laughs> okay, I, I disagree with that. Uh, life cannot come from non-life. Consciousness does not arrive out of matter. If my lamp here in my uh, office here that I'm looking at suddenly comes alive, I am going to freak out, all right? Uh, You are going to hear some interesting things come from me. Uh, So life does not come from non-life. And I want to begin teaching science from a biblical perspective in a way that is very accessible, in a way that new content is delivered regularly. Um, I want to be able to get some of the foremost creation scientists teaching lessons. I want to have Q&A time with them. I want to be able to really get the upper hand on teaching creation research at an accessible level so that we have real answers for people. We don't just have answers that show why evolution is not true or why we should not uh, place our trust in the theory of evolution. But we'll also have answers about how to explain the world from a biblical perspective. And so that's my heart for this thing. I hope I've explained it in a way that uh, makes some sense. Um, you know, some of the ideas I have are quarterly ebooks. Of course, I'll keep doing a, a once weekly blog and podcast uh, completely for free. Um, I want to do some video training. I want to do some audio training. I want to have live uh, Q&A sessions with real creation scientists. So these are just some of the ideas that I have um, 
that I have planned for the future of the Creation Academy. And I think this is going to be something that is um, very exciting in the creation community, and I think we can make a real difference. Um, I want to have expert interviews. I want to talk to creation scientists about their latest research. And when somebody puts a paper out, you know, I want to be able to talk to them and kind of say, hey, look, what is the... uh, best way to understand what you're laying out for us in this paper. And you know what I mean? I, I just, I want to, I want to connect the latest creation research with those who may not have the time or um, may not be able to uh, sit down and understand all the technical aspects of what they're reading. Um, and I want to just make this thing at a very accessible level. So um, that's the idea I have. Again, I have very highly encourage you to go to join tca.co join tca.co read about it and learn about it if you think you are interested at all at all i want you to sign up on the wait list it's not open right now obviously i'm still working on this thing um but i want you to sign up for the wait list i'm trying i have a personal goal hopefully by the end of this year to get to around 500 names on the wait list if we can get that far uh we can get a little bit of um finances rolling in eventually to really make this thing successful. Now, uh, by the way, it does not cost a dime to get on the wait list. Uh, it's completely free. If you, th- if there is even a chance at all that you think this could be helpful for the creation community and especially for your personal learning, then I want you to go to jointca.co and sign up for the wait list. All I require is an email address, but I prefer to have an email address, a first name, and a last name. So if you can give me all that information, uh, I'll keep in contact with you every now and then about it. And you are also going to get access, early access, to the private Facebook group for free. That is a feature that uh, will eventually have to be paid for uh, by members of the Academy, but you're going to get it for free. And um, you're going to be able to fellowship with a like-minded community of believers. Um, Now, I realized, all right, I realized there's already some very good Young Earth Creationist um, Facebook groups. I'm a member of them, all right? So I realized that. However, our plan for this Facebook group, uh, not only before the Academy launches, would I like to have your feedback and suggestions and things. I'm going to be monitoring it closely. I'm going to be involved in the conversations in there. I want to have ideas from you about how to make this thing successful. I, I need your help. I need your help. I can't do this by myself. So I want you to join in there and help me out with that. But my plan is eventually that is going to include special access to our instructors at the Creation Academy. And this is where we'll we'll hold our live Q&As. This is where that if we have live video events, we will do them. And we're going to get people involved, as involved as we can. So I expect that this Facebook group will eventually um, include special access to our instructors and where you can ask real creation scientists real questions. And so I'm really, really excited about this idea. Now, I've mentioned price a couple times. What is it going to cost? Well, if you look at the Q&A, not the Q&A, but on the frequently asked questions on jointca.co right now at the bottom, it says somewhere between $5 and $10. And I want to announce today that... I have decided, uh, I believe that I've prayed about this for a while and I've spoken to the Lord about it, and I believe that he would have us to offer this thing when it launches at $6.99 per month. $6.99 per month. 
Now, I'm sure I'm going to have those who say, you should make this pre. Um, I have a couple ideas about that. Number one, I spend a lot of time each week doing this podcast, doing my blog posts, giving away free information. I, Of course, I believe information about creation should be free. I, there, I, I don't. I don't have any problem with that at all. I, I don't think you should have a paywall on creation learning. However, at the same time, I also realized what it costs to keep a ministry running, to keep a business running. Right now, I work full-time. I have a business. My wife has a small business. Um, I do this podcast. I do the blog. I would like to be able to spend more time, if possible, on this. Am I saying that I'm going to quit my job? No, I'm not saying that. Um Eventually, I may. Uh, where I work, they are very understanding of the fact that I am a ministry-first kind of guy. And if ministry opportunity comes up that allows me to go full-time, I think they understand uh, that that's, that's the position I'm coming from. Uh, I'm not there yet. And if by God's grace I'm ever allowed to do that, where I could spend all my time creating awesome content um, about creation and apologetics, then, then that's great. I would love to be there one day. Um, but until that time, I will need to have some finances to be able to make this thing successful. One of the biggest complaints I get is that much of our creation material looks old, outdated. It's not done right. Um, it's not um, It's not given the treatment that it deserves. And I want to change that. But let me tell you something. You can't change that for free. Uh, you can't. There's not very much funding to go around. I, I could do a nonprofit thing, but that's honestly not the direction that I feel the Lord is leading. Um, I believe that um, this needs to be run like a tight ship. I believe we need to be accountable to people. I believe that people need to understand where their finances go. And um, so the way we want to do this is offer it for six ninety nine per month. It's a monthly subscription. You can cancel anytime you want. Otherwise, you have unlimited access to everything that we offer inside the Creation Academy. The video learning, the audio downloads, the PDF lesson plans that we'd like to have with each learning, the uh, access to creation speakers, the uh, quarterly ebooks, everything that we have planned, this is going to be for one price. You don't have to buy uh, books every time they come out. Will we sell other books that, that maybe I write or others write? Well, sure, we might do that. And we might also offer a discount if you're an Academy member uh, for doing that. But uh, let me just say that I'm making this as accessible as I can, but it's going to require a little bit of financial commitment uh, from those who want to see this succeed. So it's free to get on the wait list. It's free to get on the wait list, but when the Academy launches, if you decide to purchase and become a member, um, then it is going to cost just $6.99 a month. Um, and what you're going to get for that $6.99 is those things I mentioned earlier. Again, go to jointca.co to learn more about that. And uh, We're planning on a 2019 launch, um, hopefully early 2019, though I'm not positive about that. Um, it really also just depends on what kind of a response we get on the wait list and to kind of see if we can make this thing successful from the get-go. Um, how we come out of the gate is really going to help us determine what the future of this thing looks like. So um, I want to have some in-depth, really good creation learning um, about science from a biblical creation worldview. So that's the announcement. I'm so excited about it. I hope you guys are too. I hope you get on board. If you have questions, feel free to write in or um, uh, you know, email me and ask. You can email steve at steveschram.com. 
Steve at stevesram.com. You can ask me questions. If you go sign up for the wait list, join into the Facebook group and start asking questions there. You're going to get a, a link immediately in your email um, after you've confirmed your subscription to the wait list uh, that will tell you how to get access to the Facebook group. And we can talk about it from there. You can give me your ideas, your suggestions. I can send you some screenshots and even maybe some walkthrough videos of, of things that we've got planned for the site. Probably going to do a little bit of a walkthrough video once we get some people in the Facebook group um, of the uh, site as it stands right now that I'm currently building to kind of show you what it's going to look like and, and, and what things might look like uh, for you to expect. Uh, so anyway, I'm really excited about this. I hope that you'll jump on board this vision with me. Help us make this a reality. If you think the price is too sky high, well, let me know. Um, if you think I'm not charging enough, let me know that as well. But I, but I believe, and I've been talking to the Lord about this, and I really feel that that six ninety nine per month spot is just a really fair and affordable spot. You know, if somebody else was offering this, I'd like to think that I would more than happily find five or excuse me six ninety nine per month to um, to learn about the most current uh, teaching in creation studies. I, I think that if I were in that that boat. That would be a small price to pay to learn science continually from a creation perspective, and especially as we're uh, witnessing to this hostile world who wants nothing to do with God. So, um, but you know, all I want you to think about right now, and things could change between now and then, but all I want you to think about right now is getting on that wait list. Go to TC, uh, excuse me, join TCA.co and sign up for the wait list and get into the Facebook group. Start interacting with us and, uh, and we'll talk with you and you talk with us and we will build the Creation Academy together. I couldn't be more excited about it. More than anything, I hope you'll pray. Uh, pray for us. Pray for this endeavor. Pray that we can make it successful. Pray that uh, it's something that will help scores and scores of people because our ultimate goal, remember, is to show people the way and lead people to Jesus Christ. If our creation ministry is not doing that, then we might as well not even have one. So that's what we want to do. We want to empower others to be able to be bold in their witness and in their stand for the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to say we thank you for uh, just being so good to us. Thank you for planting this dream in my mind about the Creation Academy, and I pray, Lord, that you would help it to come to fruition. Father, I pray that we would see scores and scores of people get excited about it, put their names on the wait list, give us ideas, give us feedback, and help us to launch the Creation Academy in a successful way, Lord, and in a way that we can help to reach the masses with the creation message. Lord, we know that we have the most reasonable worldview. We know that we have the only worldview that can make sense of reality. And Father, I pray that you would help us to act that way. I pray that you would give us the tools to help us to learn, to be able to defend your word. Lord, most of all, I pray that you would uh, empower this generation of Christians to get back behind the authority of the Bible. Help us to be able to counter uh, with love and respect, but with a firm uh, spirit, these ideas that, uh, and these sad realities of, of things like theistic evolutionism. Lord, in this day, when attacks are coming in from outside of the church and from inside of the church. I pray that you would help us to stand as a bolder witness than ever. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us this week. A little bit of a different week here on the Creation Academy, but I appreciate you joining us. And I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has made this thing successful so far. Uh, we've had somewhere around 1,500 downloads on the podcast and, and had a pretty good year last year on the blog as well. I think we had like 6,500 paid page views last year. Um, look, I, I know that that's not a lot. That's that's a very small amount compared to, to many other websites, but the fact that even one of you, that even one of you would read an article, would read something I've written, or that you would uh, listen to something that I have to say on this podcast means the world to me. And we're looking forward to an exciting 2018 and uh, certainly looking even further forward to an exciting 2019 as well uh, with the launch of the Creation Academy. Um, keep us in your prayers and uh, you know, give us your best uh, prayer contribution that you possibly possibly can. We thank you for sticking with us this week uh, here on the Creation Academy, and we will see you next week as we return to our teaching on uh, the biblical origin of humanity. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.